Welcome to Healthcare IT Today CIO Podcast. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today. And I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO in- insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and we want you to help you be more successful. Our guest today to help us in this journey of becoming a successful CIO or more successful CIO is Aaron Meary. He's CIO at the University of Texas at Austin, Dell Medical School, and UT Health Austin. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks so much, John, for having me. Appreciate you. Happy New Year. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I think we're all excited for a new year. Let's be honest. Absolutely. <laughs> Although at times it feels like it's month 13 and 14 of the year 2020, right? But that's okay. That, that's all right. We'll get there. We'll get there together. I think we want some stuff open. But anyways, uh, <laughs> before we dive into talking about the CIO job and your perspectives, tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization. Absolutely. So I'm at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, Dell Medical School and UT Health Austin, basically the clinical uh, enterprise component of the the university. Uh, We do a tremendous amount with research. We obviously have a medical school, we have our our clinics and our clinical enterprise component. Then we also have our community impact division, which is like our social workers and working with like uh, Meals on Wheels and and those sorts of things. So it's a really all encompassing academic environment uh, that's growing rapidly. Austin's one of the fastest growing cities in the country. And so we are in rapid growth mode and trying to be pragmatic and do world-class research like UT Austin's known for. Uh, So it's, it's fun times, it keeps every day interesting. The other hat I wear is I am the co-chair of the HITAC, which is the Health Information Technology Advisory Committee uh, established under 21st Century Cures. And uh, that's an incredible dynamic uh, group of folks from across the country that represent and advise the administration and the Congress on what to do next, right? So trying to articulate the war stories from the front lines to becoming uh, legislation and policy uh, to make things better for the country. So both of those keep me up at uh, keep me up all day and all night too. So it's good. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, given that perspective, what do you think the biggest change is going on in health IT today? And, and why does it matter? Why should CIOs be paying attention to it? Yeah, great question. So the biggest change I would say today, as opposed to say 18 months ago, is the awareness and visibility at all levels of the organization of the importance of technology. You've got to remember that it wasn't too long ago that we were still operating on paper records and organizations were not really able to share information, although it's getting better, we still have challenges there. Um, Now, because of COVID and because so much has become digital and remote, the focus of the role of the CIO has been put first and foremost. And I've said this in other uh, interviews and that the CIOs of today, if they're not up to the task of digitizing your organization, pivoting really quick, going a different direction, fail fast, go a different direction to make sure the business can't stop, I don't know how much longer you're going to find yourself in those roles. The days of, of CIOs sitting in their office and just keeping lights on, thinking that's good to go, those days are done with. And I'm glad to see that because I think it gives an opportunity for the next generation of CIOs to come in with something different and a different perspective and understand the power of analytics and digital operations. But at the end of the day, healthcare is in the business of saving lives and we're in the business of taking care of people and doing the best we possibly can. And that means you have to go digital to make that happen. By golly, you're going to go digital to make it happen. I think one of the challenges is that that's a lot harder, right? Like, I mean, just providing internet and bandwidth to your organization, keeping the servers lights on, replacing some desktops, like that's much easier. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at it and I, I think you're right, you know, that COVID has forced the issue and said, hey, well, we have to embrace digital. Mm-hmm. A next generation hospital is not going to survive without it, but it's a lot harder, isn't it? 
It is, it, I would say, I don't know if it's harder as much as another skill set altogether. I mean, there are some very complicated organizations, UT Austin, similar size organizations that have a lot of moving parts. So when someone says, keep the lights on, I don't want to trivialize it like, oh, just feed the hamster running on the wheel a little bit more and feed them their Wheaties and you're good to go. No, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Um, but what it is interesting is that the next tier of skill set to understand the business and how you drive business leveraging tech, how you drive patient engagement, how you how you encourage better catchment areas with new patients and new markets to open up, how you leverage telemedicine digital tools in a way that fit naturally with the workflow of the business. It takes a CIO who has a COO hat on and a CIO who has a technologist hat on to meet in the middle and become the universal translator of healthcare. Um, I often tell people that IT is like the central nervous system of the human body, that you can have an, an arm and a hand and a brain and a eyes and you know breathing and all kinds of stuff. But without a CNS, that stuff ain't working, man. It ain't firing on the same time. You're not going to be able to get up and walk forward, right? And so the business is counting on you as, as the CIO to be that central nervous system and make sure you can move forward, especially when you throw in multiple pandemic curveballs and having to transition a practice over an entire weekend, true story, uh, to virtual or other things you have to do because it's the right thing to do for the city. You have to pivot as fast as the clinicians pivot. Otherwise, you're going to be left in the dust and they're going to go find someone else who will. Yeah, I saw a great tweet today that said, if you as CIO get confused for the CMO, then that's directionally right. <laughs> and I kind of like that. I got it kind of to your point. And I, yeah. you know, I was thinking about it from an accomplishment standpoint as well. I can't imagine your most interesting accomplishments were that you upgraded the bandwidth to your <laughs> main <laughs> hospital, right? So what accomplishments are you proud of as in your work as CIO or, or maybe a few of them if, uh, if you yeah, can? So I'll give you, I'll give you several of them, right? And so number one, I'm incredibly proud of UT Austin and the way we are now one of two major vaccine hubs for Central Texas and Travis County in the city of Austin. And we're facilitating thousands of appointments every single day with folks getting the vaccine. Our, our chief clinical officer, she's an amazing, amazing physician and surgeon. She said this and it really resonated with me is that each shot is basically saving someone's life. So if you think about it, as you accelerate the vaccine process using technology, using processes, using tools, digitization, digital engagement, uh, digital reminders, uh, AI chatbots, all these things have to fit together to create uh, an ecosystem, a web, of, of engagement tools so that the patient feels bought in so that they come out in the cold, in the rain, in the wintertime to get their shot. Because again, you're trying to save their life and save the lives of the community. So that's first and foremost. I think all of UT Austin, how we have leveraged technology across the entire campus um, has been phenomenal too. I would say the, the, the ability for us to agilely work together with the city of Austin public health department, mm. do things like contact tracing, do things like home monitoring, surveillance, temperature monitoring, to be able to do things with area-wide dashboards and data resources that my data team is churning through different types of data sets, some that are really, really static and having to really manipulate them hard to get insights to the, to the hands of the clinicians and to the mayor's office to make decisions. I've been so proud of that and, and so proud of my team for working together. The way UT Austin works is that, you know, each segment of the university has sort of their own IT team, but okay. my healthcare IT team, which is growing rapidly and really becoming uh, influential, has managed to lead the whole, the whole university, not saying go do what we need to do, but let's work together. So you have all these other colleges working with us to feed us data, feed us, you know, whatever information we need, assisting out, but it's our EMR, it's our systems, it's our databases, it's our structure, but we work together 
as one team, as one family. Those are the things I'm most proud of. More back at the ranch, things that I'm very proud of, some of the innovative work that we've done, you know, really leveraging tech in a way that most people didn't think. An example, we're running in, out of N95 masks like everybody else was. We went and figured out how to 3D print an N95 mask, right? We reverse engineered this thing and made a custom N95 mask that's going through the FDA certification process. Because why not? 3D printing is a technology we should use more of in, in healthcare. And so those kinds of things to be able to be agile on the fly and really work with data and insights and people in a way and play to their strengths has been something I'm just incredibly proud of. And it's kind of cool when you bring back the Longhorns football team to play in a season, uh, knowing how much pre-work went into that with contact tracing, data sets, analytics, partnering with the Big 12, partnering with the other colleges, partnering with the other universities across Texas. A lot of credit to our university president uh, who was very bullish on it. Like, we will do this. We will bring back that team. Giving encouragement to everybody to figure out, let's figure this out. It's never been done before. You've never brought back college football team in the middle of a pandemic. But hey, <laughs> let's figure that out and what that takes. I can tell you it takes a lot. I have a newfound appreciation for what that means. But that's what makes it fun and so rewarding is you're able to give back something to the community that you urgently needed, which is normalcy and a return to normal activity. Yeah. Well, we won't talk too much football, but you did just hire a BYU alum at coach. So, uh, did. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my alma mater, but, uh, so it's really interesting to, to think through the, you know, the challenges. And I, I love that, how you're so proud of everything you accomplished in COVID. I think that's kind of the sentiment of where we're at, but I imagine there's a lot of challenges that you still face too. Mm -hmm. If there's one thing that you could like change about your job as CIO, what would it be? Yeah, I, I think the most interesting part about, about this seat in this role, which we're also now seeing play out because of COVID, but you've always it's always been there, is the level of maturity of the technology that we have to deal with. A lot of people are like, come on, man, I can watch my pizza being made by Domino's over the internet, or <laughs> I can you know make a web phone call to somebody in China without a problem. Why is it so difficult in healthcare? And, and it's hard for the rest of the world, unless you've been on the provider side to understand how archaic and legacy a lot of these products are, not for any malicious reason, other than they've never been forced to have to use modern uh, you know, application programming interfaces, APIs, or any kind of connectivity that the normal world uses. And so you have these newer tech stacks that are out there from folks like Salesforce or Oracle or Amazon or Google. And they're like, oh, just hook it up to your electronic medical record. Golly, I wish it was that easy, right? <laughs> um, there, there's those dynamics which are holding back the industry. Now, I give a lot of credit uh, within 21st century cures that the Congress passed and, and was signed by the Obama administration. There were a lot of mandates as to the requirements necessary for health IT technologies to be able to talk to each other in a lot more seamless manner. And a lot of those are going to be starting to be enforced this year, which is great. That means data will flow easily. It'll be a lot easier to connect to things and it'll be a lot easier to find uh, certain types of data. But let's give me a, a basic example of an issue today. Right now, there is no unique way to identify Aaron in multiple systems. So someone like me who's lived in Dallas, who lived in Boston, and now I live in Austin, Texas, right? I am in three different health systems, not more, uh, EMRs, but you couldn't link my data together across the country. One would think, why not, man? I, I can link my, you know, Amazon, uh, you know, account across. I can link my Facebook account across. I can link my uh, TikTok account to multiple TikTok. Why can't I add in multiple errands? 
because there's no unique identifier for Aaron and that's stipulated by law. Mm. So there's those barriers we have to overcome, which again are starting to be looked at and talked about. But until then, that makes the role of the CIO's job one of a lot of agility and having to really think about how do I overcome this roadblock to get to the next level. And so that's what I was saying earlier by alluding to that you have to be able to be dynamic and digital and think like that and simply can't throw up your arms and go, man, I just can't make A and B talk. So ain't going to happen. You can't be like that. You got to find a way through it, even if it means some unnatural things to make the technology work. Well, it's interesting you place such a emphasis on the unique identifier, which I think, you know, is a ludicrous law that needs to change. But, you know, even though privacy, you know, is why it was, but anyway, we won't dive into that topic here. <laughs> but, you know, like, where do you see interoperability today from a, a CIO's perspective? You know, what more needs to be done? You know, I think to your point that you just kind of shared is, no one needed to do it. And so they didn't, it wasn't malicious, right? Like it was like business was good enough and right. we cared for it the best way possible. And let's be honest, it wasn't on the EHR until 10 years ago, maybe, right. you know, really meaningful use. And so the discussion of, Hey, we should be interoperable 15 years ago before people were really on EHR couldn't even have happened. So, but what, what's your take on where we're at healthcare interoperability? Yeah. Wise? So I, I think it's a great question. So I will say this, practically speaking to create a city of Austin wide dashboard, just showing admits, discharges and transfers yeah. or an ICD coding of somebody with COVID-19 or suspected COVID-19 was like pulling teeth from a lion because hospitals don't natively share information at a wide lens. They'll share on a one-to-one -one transactional level for patient yeah. and care and treatment purposes. Absolutely. Because I'm a doctor going to and to pull one record, fine. But when I'm looking at, tell me how many people walk into your ER last night that you think have COVID or respiratory symptoms so we, we can update this dashboard to figure out where are the hotspots, what zip codes need most attention. It was next to impossible. I, I mean, the, the hospital systems are not geared towards sharing data. Again, not nefarious. It's a matter of business principle that they're just now starting to get on board with, right? And so I think this year with uh, ADT information mandated to be shared by April of this year um, and, other and other things being lit up through the course of the next couple of years that force the hand of information sharing, that's going to help. So a CIO's vantage point is one of a lot of um, beg, borrow, and cajole uh, to get others to share data with you. On a research side, luckily, there's some constructs there related to IRB waivers and HIPAA waivers and, and research-specific kind of things. I want a cohort of X number of patients that meet certain kinds of comorbidities, which make it a little easier to talk through, especially if you're looking at a de-identified data set. But when it comes to area-wide operational dashboards or area-wide financial dashboards, or when someone says, hey, price transparency, man, put all your charges up there. If, if folks only understood what that actually means, I wish I could give a menu and just push play of all these things. But the amount of agreements, affiliation agreements, uh, secondary, secondary agreements, folks we rely on provide services, a hospital system is like a shopping mall. Every single day, you're going to get new people you never expected showing up, new things coming in that you never showed up. And it's an open mall. You can't say no to anybody. So to think you're going to have a set menu or a set thing at any given time that's not dynamic in nature is a difficult proposition in healthcare. But that's okay, because the laws and things that are opening up this year and beyond 
are going to make it better. And I give you a lot of hope and, and optimism from the Biden administration and the questions they're asking and the people they're hiring. They're hiring brilliant folks that are asking the right questions. So I think over the next couple of years, you're going to see a lot of groundswell here to move things forward, um, just in general, uh, on data share. No, that's a great perspective. And it's interesting that you joined the Hitok committee, committee or HITAC. Uh, you know, I think people pronounce it all sorts of ways. Usually we just type it H-I-T-A-C. But, right. uh, <laughs> you know, is that why you joined? Because there's, you know, interoperability is one of the main focuses of that committee. Is that why you got involved? And, in, you know, obviously, congratulations on becoming co-chair as well. But is that the goal and reason you chose to participate on it? Yeah, so so there's two reasons why I chose to participate. One, professionally, um, I'm one of these people who's very, very stubborn. Whenever you see something very broken, you're going to fix it, right? I, I am, I'm one of those, like, I don't care how horrifically terrible the problem is. I'm, I'm one of the first to volunteer to say, let's fix this thing and make a better widget, right? Yeah, no and so professionally, um, being involved on the policy side is exactly that. It allows me to get into a mechanism of upstream to understand the why, the how, and provide my feedback and my experience and my expertise back to the, to, to the lawmakers and say, hey, guys and gals, this is the truth. This is what's really going on. And this is what we need you to do, right? And here's the affect A and B of what's not happening today in some of the issues, just like I was articulating a minute ago. So professionally, it's that, to fix the broken widget and make it a better widget. Personally, um, I have two little girls. They are my heart and my soul. And I'm gonna be darned if they grow up in a world where healthcare has not gotten better and healthcare delivery has not gotten better for one of the most populous, well-positioned uh, countries in the world. There's no reason why the United States lags so far behind on so many indicators when it comes to health delivery. And so from my sliver of a technologist lens, if I can help empower and enable clinicians and patients to have a better experience, well, by golly, I will. So you take those two together, it's exactly why the HITAC, and even previously when I served on the Health IT Policy Committee, and I was appointed by then Secretary uh, Sylvia Burwell to that committee, the goal was to help identify, streamline, and make a better world for tomorrow. And now that I've been doing the policy side since 2008, 2009, um, I'm tremendously proud of what I've been able to see grow. And I don't wanna say directly attributable to my stories, but I can see a lot of influence that I've had simply by connecting the dots and telling the stories that I live every single day. And does that committee have the impact? I mean, there's a lot of skeptical people. I'm, I'm partially one of them. I understand yeah. a lot of details, but uh, you know, the, there's a lot of people skeptical on what the government committees can really accomplish. Do, do you think they accomplish a lot in it? I do. And in fact, I will, I will give you a couple of specific examples. If you look at the final ruling for both uh, the CMS and ONC side of information blocking, a lot of that language came directly from our task forces that we've set up with the HITAC. And these are not just high tech members. We also invite members of the public that you can apply on the ONC website. And so we grab the best of the best across the country to come up with rules and regulations. We make those recommendations to the national coordinator and thus to the administration. And then they write the rules one way or the other, um, meeting the charge has been set out. So if it's information blocking, a lot of those components were written by the high tech and almost word per word, you can match our recommendation letter that the coordinator to, to language that came out statutorily as to what's going to be happening. So, so yes, the answer is absolutely the evidence is there. Um, and I would also say that uh, all the administrations, and I'll go from you know Karen DeSalvo over to Don Rucker and now over to Mickey Tripathi, have had phenomenally engaged uh, leaders 
that have lived, eaten, and breathed the provider side at some point in their career. And, and they're not the bureaucrat from DC that's like completely oblivious to the way healthcare actually works and, and really makes things happen. And so these smart hires over numerous administrations have really helped galvanize the voice of IT. And you've had phenomenal engagement by HIMSS, Chime, AHA, AHEMA, AMA, all these groups that continue to pour voices into this. And so at the end of the day, I'm not saying it's perfect, but the committees absolutely are being listened to, are being utilized, and you're getting your, your, your bang for your buck because it's actually, you're seeing that an evidence of practice. Um, so I would say if you're not involved, you listen to this podcast, get involved, even local state government, as sometimes that you want to pull your hair out. It's important <laughs> because these folks are listening to you and they will make judgment calls and determinations with you or without you. And it's better to have your input as part of it at the table than without you. And you go sit there and complain going, why is this so bad? Why is this broken? Why is there not a unique patient identifier? Because they need more voices to tell them the stories. Yeah. And it's always nice to have the inside story because it's always more complex than most people want to say, oh, you should have just done this. I hate yeah. that. Too, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, well, we should have, except for these 10 reasons you haven't thought about. So. That's exactly right. And, and, and in my role as CIO, I believe it's also important for me to bring that back to my organization, right? So there's oftentimes I am sending to my board or to my CEO or my leadership team insights from the high tech, you know, policy decisions we're contemplating, what the TEFCA may look like an ultimate final form. You know, these pieces that are so important, particularly when CMS has a new condition of participation related to information blocking, that's important because that affects your bottom line if you're a Medicare, Medicaid covered entity recipient, right? You yeah. should know about these things. So, hey, CFO, hey, compliance team, heads up, you know, a year ago, this is coming, prepare for it versus organizations who maybe don't pay too much attention to the regulatory landscape. And now suddenly you have a new mandate you're going to have to comply with because um, nobody wants their bottom line impacted. So there's these things that I think is helpful as a CIO to be involved and know. And so like Chime has a really good public policy group that tries to advise the whole member base. Same thing with him, same thing with AHA. And so if you're listening, you're able to stay ahead of the game. You're not scrambling like a lot of places do. And that's another dynamic of the CIO world today that maybe wasn't as important yesterday. That's great advice. So if you look back at your career, uh, you know, your hair's not graying too much, but uh, <laughs> what, what's something you've learned as, as CIO that you really wish you'd learned it earlier in your career? Yeah, um, I would say there's a, there's a phrase that a, an old mentor taught me, which is don't fight the river. Um, what that means is that every organization you're in has its own current, has its own river current, right? No successful person has ever rafted, uh, especially when you're dealing with rapids on the, on, the, on the river, I guarantee you that, goes upstream. They just don't, right? Uh, I mean, unless you are totally in a bind and you're trying to you know, figure out an eddy to get around something, uh, you don't go upstream. And so a lot of CIOs I know burn out quickly because they try to fight the river and they end up drowning in the river current because that organization is not gonna change. No matter how influential you may believe you are, you're not. So it's, a, it's the goal of the CIO to, to rally a coalition of the willing and explain to people the importance of how tech can enable them and make their job easier and have them as part of the journey with you down the river. So that way you get to goal as a team. Too many CIOs think I got to go this alone. I got to go blaze trails and burn the house down and make it happen. That's cool. That's noble. You're going to burn out. You're going to get kicked out. Like that's just not going to work. Wow. And especially today where it takes this element of multiple dynamics of digital and engagement and technology and wherewithal 
to make that happen. The political sense and savviness of a CIO is critical. So if someone had, someone did tell me this many, many years ago, I didn't quite understand it until I became a CIO now many years ago, and now I got it, right? Because that's how you make the most hay is by doing it together with a team. Yeah. Great advice. How about for uh, someone who's a new or up and coming CIO or, or maybe someone who aspires to be a CIO, any mm-hmm. advice for them? Be bold, um, take, take bets, take calculated bets. You know, again, Texas is a football uh, state. Uh-huh. We're definitely a football season. So I always tell people to take the Hail Mary, like take it, right? Especially when your back's pressed against the wall and it's fourth and long and you don't have a choice in the world. At the end of the day, in your mind, depending on what generation CIO you are, you're either going to be Patrick Mahomes or you're going to be Tom Brady, right? You're going to make that pass. You're going to make that completion, no matter if it's a 50-yard you know, draw play. It doesn't matter. You're going to make that pass. So I would say be bold. Take those bets. The organization actually will appreciate you taking those risks, the smart risks, on behalf of the org. Then if you sit back and go, oh, man, that's risky. I don't want to rock the boat. Those folks don't last. Those who stand up and rise to the occasion are the ones who make it. You don't become Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes by sitting there only throwing, you know, 10-yard slant routes all day long. It's not going to happen. You get sacked. You get sacked. When you're thinking about it, right? Exactly. (laughs) Too many CIOs looking at it saying, hmm, should I do it? And then it's too late. You get run over by the river, right? That's right. right. (laughs) And, and, you know, like I'll give you an example. This 3D printing of the N95 mask I alluded to earlier, right? There was no, there's no playbook on how to do that. It's like, I had no idea how to make a freaking mask that filters 0.2 microns, but I'm like, we can figure this out. We're UT Austin. We have one of the best engineering schools. I have some of the best public health epidemiology folks around the world, and I have a phenomenal healthcare enterprise. If I put the three together, logically speaking, we should be able to figure this out, and we did. So, But I was very clear with everybody. I'm taking this calculated bet because we're running out of N95 masks, and I can't live with myself and clinicians having to put a, a bandana or a handkerchief over their face because that's all they've got to take care of COVID patients because they were willing to do that. They were willing to sacrifice their own life to take care of somebody. So if I have the ability to just try, not saying I'm going to make it, but just right. try to throw the football and get a touchdown and save them from walking into a room with unfiltered protection, by golly, I got to try, right? Just as yeah. the one example of many. And so it worked, like I had no idea how but we got to goal on that in a really short time. But those kinds of things are what the organization is looking for you to do. Being a leader is being a leader. End of story. So take those bets, be bold. Yeah. It's amazing how COVID enabled those leadership opportunities. I heard of one hospital organization who did their own temperature sensor mm-hmm. with a Raspberry Pi device on the back end. And, you know, like cool. all that is really like, cool. that's cool. Right. And then another one, they were doing some telequarantine stuff. Mm-hmm. They mounted the camera, they hooked it up to another device and did it. And then they're like, and he actually had this amazing before and after picture. It's like, here's what we did. It was like wires everywhere. And then they invited their other team to make it look pretty and it's like this beautiful camera sitting there just doing it it's like the innovation that COVID has enabled and the opportunity to be a leader is just so powerful so I completely agree and what an ability to showcase your teams right and so I have this thing where I I like for my teams to stand tall in front of the leadership team it's I'm nine times out of ten we've done a lot of work behind the scenes but when it comes to presenting to executive leadership I take a half step back I have my team present right bring the directors bring the managers bring the frontline staff have them present the solution to your senior executives, your chief operating officer, your dean and CEO. Why should it always be your voice? You're there to facilitate their growth and their success. And their success is your success. So don't think that, oh man, I'm, I'm stepping on my own foot. Actually, you're not. 
the organization will appreciate you being a leader saying, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm creating little miniature leaders that can all go on their own and you want them to either grow up in your org or go off to other orgs and make them better. That's part of the job is helping to foster the next generation. And just as every one of us that became CIOs are in our role now, somebody at some point in your career believed in you and gave you a shot to present and gave you a shot to take on that hairy, audacious goal in that project. Someone gave you a shot and believed that you could make that Hail Mary. So you have to do the same in others. So for me and my perspective, it is COVID is an absolute great time, but it's also been a great time for me to showcase the talented folks who managed to recruit to UT Austin and they have just shined like none other. I'm so proud of them. Yeah. It's like the uh, football coaching trees. We're going to have the Aaron Meary CIO tree. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope so. I, you know, and, I, and I'm honored when you say that because there's a lot of people in my career that have, have run me up and say, Aaron, do you have a role for me at UT Austin? I'm willing to decamp, move my family to be with you because when you were in Dallas or you were in Boston, you helped grow me and do X, Y, and Z. And of course, you know, I, I never steal from the past, but I can't stop someone wanting to willingly come join me. Sure. So that gives me a level of, of hope that, you know, I'm, I'm remaining true to that ethos of mine, which is believe in tomorrow and, and, and believe in your people and take care of them. I mean, we're all human. We're all, we're all individuals. And if your heart is in the right place for healthcare and you truly are in this for the same reasons I was explaining to you with Madeline and Morgan, my daughters, and wanting to make the world a better place for tomorrow, hire those people. You can't teach that. I can't teach yeah. you passion. I can teach you how to code into a, a Cisco switch and a, a command line. I can teach you Unix or Linux. I can teach you all these other things. I can't teach you passion and I can't teach you courage. You either have it or you don't. Definitely. Aaron, there's probably another 30 topics, so we may have to have you back in the future. Sure. But thanks so much for sharing and thanks everyone for listening. This has been a great, uh, a great entrance in our CIO podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you. Appreciate you having me. And I'm in Texas, so I have to end up this way with hook them. <laughs> for those watching the broadcast, they, he got the horns up. But uh, <laughs> thanks so much, everyone, for listening. If you want to find more great health IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you.